welcome to the Heat Index. My name is Justin, and I'm an academic librarian. Hi, I'm Melody. I'm an operational meteorologist. Do you want to talk about the idea for this podcast, the Heat Index? Yeah. Um, so what I imagine this to be, and this is probably just a summary of what you've already told me, it's just kind of a examination into our unique um, fields that we both exist in, you with um, working in library sciences and me working in meteorology. I mean, it seems like you and I have very interesting interactions with the public and a lot of misinformation as far as what we actually do. I don't know. I, I know I personally have learned a lot from what you do just by your social media postings. Just a lot of things I never really would have thought about. Yeah, that's that's what got to me is that, uh, and the, the same with you about your postings and talking about how you work with the public. And more and more when I post that stuff, I, sometimes I feel self-conscious about it. And then sometimes I think I should be an ambassador, like I should be telling people what happens in, in library spaces. Um, yeah. Like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of libraries, per se, something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we all kind of need that one little champion for our fields. Otherwise, they kind of fade into obscurity in a way. I mean, you know, there's a specific reason why, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson exists. I mean, as far as, I mean, why he has the position that he has, you know, it's important to amp up the sciences as far as NASA and everything else to get people excited about it again and educate and re-educate. But a lot of, there's so many little fields out there that are subsets of other bigger fields. I mean, we we can't all. <laughs> I mean, first of all, we can't we can't all just pay for someone as brilliant as Neil deGrasse Tyson. And most of us have such small budgets, thanks to you know the politics of the past. I don't know, 20 years more than that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Is funding? I could go on for a while about that. But one thing you mentioned that I started thinking about was that. I can't speak for all library workers. You know, there's so many subsets in library work too. Just the type of library, you know, there's academic and public and there are government libraries and other special libraries. And then within that, you have reference librarians, you have people who instruct, you have people who collect and organize information and archives. And there's a lot of different roles that um, people don't really know about. So I feel like some of my colleagues might even have a tougher time explaining what they do or um, getting some of the responses that I get. That was one of the things I wanted to start out with was <laughs> one of the ideas for the, for the podcast was because when I would introduce myself to people at like dinner that I didn't really know, they would always have something to say about my profession, like they knew it better than me. And I just... Uh, yeah. Were, were you mansplained your own profession? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I don't. Do you get that ever? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. constantly. But I mean, it's probably completely different. I mean, people just love to make jokes about meteorologists. You know, like, oh, I wish I had a job where I could be wrong fifty percent of the time and still yeah. have a job. Which, by the way, is just infuriating because the actual statistics are eighty percent right. You know, three days out, something like that. Yeah. Um, is that the big one that you get when you introduce uh, yourself? That's one of the biggest ones I get. I mean, but I, I people like to use it as casual conversation starters. And I mean, I assume that it's not meant to be malicious, but it kind of is like when you're told that over and over and over, especially when you're in a field that the bachelor degree in meteorology is m basically engineering degree. I mean, you, you take calculus three, you take differential equations, um, cloud physics too i mean <laughs> yeah, i couldn't even explain to you what a cloud physics is like the basis of that area of study like i understand the two words separately but when you put them together no yeah. idea yeah i mean well i mean i remember um one time justin my husband justin he ha obviously has an interest in meteorology and he opened up his um meteorology 101 book and it was kind of like a duel because he I had my cloud physics book sitting next to his meteorology 101 book and we both just randomly opened up to one page in the book and his book was filled with I mean yeah technical explanations of things and you know solid pictures of storms maybe some diagrams but mine was just straight calculus equations 
<laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely one um, misnomer about meteorology. Um, but that's really, I want to talk more about how your people explain what your profession is to you. That's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah, well, so it was a very specific situation that pops into my head. I was out at dinner in, like, mixed company, some people that I knew and some people I didn't. And I had just gone to this Ph.D. defense, um, and then I was going to dinner with them. And there was like a professor of, I think, biology or chemistry or something like that. And uh, it got around to like, I was just sitting nearby him. So eventually we talked and I explained that I was a librarian. And he basically said, you know, well, that's that's pretty much going away. And we don't really need those anymore. And he works he works at like a large university and he still doesn't understand like the role of the library on campus. And so in that moment, I didn't really want to cause a ruckus. Like I wasn't about to just shut him down <laughs> like in this dinner situation because it would have just taken the mood down and it wasn't really my place to educate this guy at that time. Um, right. But it, it was just really this pompous like, oh, like what I'm my work is so important. Like he, he's talking about his own, you know, research. Yeah. Like, my work is so important, and what you do, we don't need anymore. And, like, students get fine on their own without these. And he just doesn't know. Like, if <laughs> if he actually asked his students, he would probably find out a lot about what they use. And just because they might not go to the library, they use stuff online all the time. Right. And uh, we talk to people on the phone all the time. And the biggest one that I get from, you know, older folks is that uh, it's the stodgy woman librarian with a bun that's like oh the stereotype yeah yeah that's the stereotype of or one of the jokes that comes up and what you're talking about is it's my experience too where people will make a joke and they're like half kidding like they're not serious but as it builds up over time it's that's a classic microaggression where people are are telling you something over and over again and, you know, the yeah. one time, it's not really that big of a deal. But when you hear it, like, 20 times, it's like, all right, we get the joke. Like, you know. Right. right. Yeah. But to them, it's a new joke. Because how often do they meet a librarian and they get to love this softball garbage joke at them? Like, like it's hilarious one time <laughs> when it's not even against you. But, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a microaggression. I mean, and it's, it's just upsetting because it's. You want to educate these people. I mean, our, you know, your field is so important. And it's one of those things that maybe you can't educate them in, like, two words or, you know, the, the meme. Summarize it in one word, <laughs> which is all, you know, a lot of people want anymore, you know, a quick summary of things. I mean, it, it takes a while to truly educate someone in something. And I can totally see, you know, sitting down at a dinner party, it's not really the the time and place for it. But at the same time, you kind of want to have a quick something. You got, you kind of have to keep something in your back pocket to immediately come back and make them think. Um, So that's something I try to do that with certain situations because sometimes maybe when people give you these zingers, you're not really expecting it. Yeah. And, And then they kind of throw you for a loop and you, you kind of can't really react in time. To where your your what you say makes sense. So I kind of like think up certain responses to things and just keep them waiting. <laughs> and every now and then I can really put them to good use. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess my zinger would be actually it's eighty percent three days out. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's good. I I did develop some of that too. I think that was early on when I had just started working. Um, I'll say something like, you know, libraries are actually just a community space where you don't have to buy anything to sit in there. You know, you can experience whatever you want without being being pushed products or advertisements or other things. Like it's just a free space for people to 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 meet and to study and to do whatever they want to. And so I'll give some examples. Like in public libraries, a lot of them are helping. Um, people with citizenship tests or helping people, prisoners with getting a GED or helping adults learn how to read because there's still um, problems with adult literacy in this country. And so some of those examples I'll throw out there and people will just say, oh, yeah, I never really considered that, like, who is working with those populations. So I totally agree. You need to have 
a couple of things to throw out there and kind of throw them off balance. Cause I'm, now I'm used to being like called out as like, Oh, it's the librarian. Like that's so funny. And then yeah. I get to go back and hit them off balance with something. Yeah. I mean, the, that's just those things that you mentioned. Like I know those things, but you don't really think about that that often. I mean, I'm sure you do um, being in the field, but I, when I think of a library, I don't immediately think of it as a community space, even though it absolutely is. I mean, especially, for me, more now than ever, just having, you know, a two-year-old, you're always kind of looking for a place to take your little kids, and you don't necessarily want to take them to, I don't know, a trampoline park and blow 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you want to go to a place where you can relax and, you know, enjoy yourself, and um, libraries, in a way are sometimes forgotten just for the simple community spaces and just a place where you can all pull together. I mean, whether it be checking out a book or just having a helping hand with, (laughs) with education. I mean, that's, it's so, that's so important. And, um, and you guys, you know, you, you tend to do a lot of things for little kids too. Um, Yeah. Public libraries are really, really good with little kid programs. Um, People show up for them. I mean, that's one reason is that they're very, very popular. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) one funny, tiny little funny story is that when I was first applying to jobs, I did apply to be a children's librarian at a library in Florida. And I had no experience in that area. And I didn't really even know what the job was about. But I, I got the interview. And so I went in. And they had me read a children's book like it was story time. And yeah, it was about a bear and his friends and they're, you know, cooking or whatever. So what happened was they're like, you should read this book like you're in a room with a bunch of children. I was like, that sounds great. You know, that's not that's not hard at all. So I started I started reading it and um, I never turned it around for them to see the pages. Oh. Yeah, it's the little things like that you never really think about um, because they're like pretend that we're the children. So it's like, oh, and so I read like the thing in a happy voice or whatever. But Uh they're like, yeah, you didn't really show us (laughs) the pictures. I was like, oh, yeah, kids love seeing that stuff, you know, like so stuff like that. That's so interesting to have that in an interview. That's I mean, that's really funny. I mean, that. I don't, I don't know many other professions where that would be an interview question. <laughs> I do think, I mean, before you would likely, you know, actually read in front of children, they'd probably just give you these tips and then you'd fly with them, you know? I mean, yeah. hopefully that wasn't a, <laughs> a fatal error in an interview. Well, I, I feel like it was for me. And, and, and that kind of leads into this topic of um, internships. And so uh, library studies as a graduate degree is very, very broad. And you can specialize in some things or other things. But what it really comes down to is learning jobs on the job. And yeah, it's uh, very particular in that sense. So based on the type of library you want to work at or the type of subfield you want to work in, um, you'll need to do an internship just to learn those tiny things that people don't think about. Uh, and so more or less, I ask people I work with, you know, how did you end up with this? And it's more or less by chance, you know, some people just get placed in certain internships or they knew somebody or they were kind of interested in that, or mainly it was just an opportunity that opened up and they pursued it and they liked it and they kept doing it. But there's a lot of flexibility and um, it basically comes down to going in and doing the job. So I think that actually did thank me for that interview. It's not a job that I wanted anyway. <laughs> and I, uh, I'm glad I ended up working with technology instead. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how it how it works like that. I bet you'll never make that mistake again, though. <laughs> I, I will mean, not. Yeah, definitely not. Children, because I mean, how how many years ago was that? Was that like? like 10 years ago or something where you had that interview and it still sticks with you? Uh, it was 2012. Yeah, so it was like six years ago. Oh, okay, okay, yeah.
Um, so remind me, because um, you're, you're actually educating me a lot on, you know, what type of library environment that people work in, public versus um, academia. So you, you work in academia or are you in a public library system right now? So I used to work in public libraries in Florida and now I work at a college library. And okay. it's, a, it's a real big change of pace and there are a lot of uh, big differences. But the, the main thing is that your, your library should be trying to serve your community. And so whatever uh-huh. they need, take precedence and that's what you spend money on and that's what you put time into. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the same kind of mission. But I, I do work at a college library now. Oh, okay. So, but you, you work at a college library, but you're still like serving the general community with the college library. Is that right or no? Yeah, that is 100% correct. So oh. every every university library that I know of has public visitation, and sometimes they limit it to business hours um, from like nine to five during the week. Uh-huh. And sometimes <clears throat> sometimes you'll be able to come in after hours for events. But yeah, all of the library events that I work on are open to the general public. We have uh, special computers that the general public can use. They can come in and look at our materials, but they can't necessarily check out things unless they're like alumni of our college. Okay, that's cool. So I could I can probably like go to a local college library where I live and use it as a normal library aside from checking out things. Yeah, that's right. You can go if you need to use a computer or use the space or even just hang out if a lot of libraries will have uh, cafes in them now. And uh, sometimes you'll find a nice little space you can uh, hang out. It might be quiet or you might meet other people in a similar position. That's one of the things I was going to say about story times is that it's not not just about entertainment, but it's teaching kids about books. It's exposing them to books and also allowing you know parents to meet other parents. Um, oh. Experience that in public libraries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I obviously have personal experience about this, but um, I mean, I'll go ahead and tell our little story. <laughs> and Justin, um, my husband, is sitting right next to me, like pointing at himself because <laughs> this, this really speaks to us. But um, I mean, as you know, we moved to Key West in my final month of pregnancy, which is just an example of how nuts we are. <laughs> but um, I mean, we didn't know anybody really in Key West aside from, you know, the few co-workers that I had suddenly met there. And after we had our daughter, Snow, we were just kind of on our own. I mean, we didn't really have family very close by. I, I mean, it was like maybe a six-hour drive away, but you know, that's a long drive. And we lived in a pretty tiny apartment because that's how it goes in Key West. And, you know, when you have a child, I mean, it's... The first few months, it's really just about survival. You're just trying to feed yourself and feed your child and hopefully make it to the doctor's appointments on time. And there's like a doctor appointment every week almost, or at least it feels like that. So it's so important in those like early months to actually meet other people who are in your same situation because it's almost like survival. It's almost like going to an AA meeting <laughs> in a way. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to hang on to other people for support. You're just trying not to drown, you know. And our like one day we finally made it out to one of the library meetings. It was a Wednesday. It was like a baby and me meeting. And we finally met all these other people. And, I mean, it was really just like someone turned the lights on in our minds. Just, I don't know, it was like an awakening <laughs> of being united <laughs> with this community. And, um you know, as you know, Justin was a stay-at-home dad for a while, and he still is right now. And, I mean, he really – Justin's a very social person. I'm more of an introvert, but he's quite social. And for him, being a stay-at-home dad was very much a challenge because you really just have yourself. It's hard to – you don't have any other adults to talk to. And I, I really I really saw, like, I was worried about him because he really did not seem right. Like, he just – he, he was struggling in a way, and I, I don't even know how I can put it into words. But, you know, when he started going to these community meetups at the library, he just he just started feeling so much better just coming back. And it's, it's really interesting to use this as an example in a way in reverse gender roles, because usually it's the mom that stays at home, right? But right. I go back to work. And normally I think people couple this with postpartum 
getting your body back after having a child physically. But Justin obviously didn't go through the pregnancy, you know, I did. So having a baby and being at home with the baby and not having anyone to talk to at home is just as impactful to the dad as it is the mom. And it doesn't really necessarily have to do with the long road of recovery after childbirth. Realizing that was really just shocking to me because, you know, it's just like I already said, all these things are kind of grouped with women and you kind of assume things are all linked in with your body trying to recover from childbirth. But this was very much just a mental thing for a stay-at-home dad. So at the library, just having that sense of community space and being able to meet with other people in the same um, in the same boat that you're in was so important. And I mean, I've, I already had a lot of exposure to libraries in many different ways, including with just having a friendship with you. But I mean, this is just a whole other, a whole separate room of just understanding how important libraries are to our community. Yeah, because you get to go in there and, and, and basically talk about what you experience all the time with your uh, newborn or your toddler. And then not only do other people want to listen, but they're like, yes, yes, definitely, right? Like they talk about the same kind of stuff, right? Like you yeah. can have a group yeah. session on that. Yeah, and then I mean, you you know, libraries, public libraries provide, you know, all the puppets, little books, toys. I mean, just little things that just kind of make things more comfortable for everybody. And yeah. um, I don't know, I mean, all kids kind of have toys at home or at least you know, in America, we can't really say that about every country or every part of America even. Um, but, you know, just going to a library and there's a new toy that the kid has never seen before, even if it's pretty much the same of what you would have at home, it's just a new experience for the child and for everybody. And it's it's just really important to be able to, you know, provide that with your community, especially at a cost that's um, free to the community. I mean, yeah. that, doesn't discriminate based on income. Yeah, that's one That's one of the talking points I use too, is that return on investment studies for libraries are really, really good. When I was working in Florida, they had done one. And there was something of, about, along the lines of every dollar you put in, you get $10 of value back in the community. So that has to do with, um, you know, obviously materials that go around, but uh, events like this and uh, bringing in speakers and outside um, authors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, I mean, you're probably about to jump into a different, um, topic, but at some point I would love to just ask you, take us through a typical date for you. Oh Um, yeah. That's a good exercise. No, I would want to hear from you too. That's a good, that's a good idea. Um, so a typical day in the library, I should do what I'm doing now because it's college libraries. Um, yeah. Um, I can think even recently of what I did this week because I did a lot of, a little bit of, uh, everything, which is basically what a lot of librarians will say what they do. Um, they wear many hats is <laughs> one of the old phrases that gets thrown around. What I try and do is, I guess maybe 15 or 20% of my time is working out on the library floor and answering questions at our uh, technology desk. So we have like a main information desk and then we have a technology desk where we do a lot of technology training on video production, audio production, but also if people just need help with uh, Microsoft Word or some other program, they'll come up and ask questions and we'll kind of walk them through the process of doing whatever they need to do. So this week I did help someone formatting in Microsoft Word um, especially for dissertations, it's a very strict format that they have to follow. And uh-huh. some, sometimes some of the features will be buried in words. So I might help a student with that or in a one-on-one appointment. So we also take appointments to do that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I just want to, I don't want to stop what you're saying, but I just want to interject. In grad school, I had a class, I'm pretty sure it was grad school. I had a class where one of our assignments was to make an appointment with a librarian and they took us through through all these things with the library that I never would have known. Um, yeah. So just that that one thing stuck with me in grad school that you can actually do that, which is so cool. Yeah, we like to say. I mean, I like to say that when I meet people and when I do classes and when I meet students, I tell them 
come and bother me. Some people are actually afraid. They're like, this person is doing so much work. I don't want to uh, interrupt them. But that, uh-huh. that's why I'll lead off with, you need to call me, you need to email me, I'll set aside time, like I'll drop whatever I'm doing to meet and talk to you because that's our number one job is to help you whatever you need help um, with doing. So um, I I would have maybe one or two like one-on-one appointments per week where uh-huh. we sit down and work on different projects or they're doing research or they're making a video or other things like that. What's funny is that I actually prepared a slide on this topic of a day in the life because uh-huh. I did uh, a local career day and I remembered I didn't remember having a career day at my high school. So I volunteered to go out to two local high schools and talk about what I did and answer questions from like uh, teenagers about what I do, which is very uh-huh. interesting, very funny. And um, so I prepared like a slide of this kind of information, um, but I'll try and wrap it up so it's not going on and on. I do want to hear more about a day in the life of a meteorologist too. Uh, so I would do that. I would probably be reading something. So I read a lot of news, not just on libraries generally. I, I do read national news on libraries, but also local news and I will read uh, literature within our field, so research in libraries, but I'll also read broadly in higher education because so much of what we do is working with students and a lot of issues they face are outside of the library. And so I want an understanding of what they're facing when they come into the library so I can have some context for our interactions. So I'll read. You're, you're doing ahead. a lot of research for just um, preparing for your day, really. Yeah. Yeah, and there is a ton of news. Um, I mean, there are a lot of newsletters for higher education in general, but there's yeah, also local news and local events. All this stuff is impacting who we work with, and so I feel like I need to have some kind of uh, time set aside so I can understand what's going on, so I can talk to people and you know understand what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Because a large part of the process is trying to figure out sometimes what somebody's asking or what they're talking about so that you can actually help them. You know, you probably have this experience um, helping the general public too. You have to investigate what they're asking and it's, uh, we call it a reference interview and there's, you know, a textbook definition or whatever. But it's basically like getting to know somebody before you try and answer their question and not anticipating what they're trying to ask, you know? Yeah, I mean, you have to know your audience. Yeah. So, um, also working on my own research, so I will write up articles, and I do some of that. And then I plan some events, and so we've, we've had event planning meetings. Um, we're having an arts festival coming up where students are submitting artwork uh, to be judged and to have prizes. So we're going to have faculty judges to come out and look at the artwork, give away a prize, and I've been planning that pretty much the past two weeks. So as a librarian, how do you judge artwork? <laughs> that's why I'm not judging it um yeah well like, before judges do they have an art background at all yeah so I asked um some art professors like oh uh, cool yeah so there's gonna be okay. a studio art professor and someone in our um college of art or, or sorry yeah there's one one of our colleges has a, a museum of art um, so one of the curators there will be judging too. No, I know that's a very, uh, <laughs> it's a very loaded topic. It's like, how, how would you judge something against something else? So I just kind of wanted to see what students are creating. And uh-huh. I asked them to make artwork around the theme, This is America, because when we thought of it, it was um, the Donald Glover um, song and video had dropped. And one of my coworkers suggested that as a theme for the competition. So Okay. That's what we are doing, and I'm very excited about it. I do really want to hear about what meteorologists do on a daily basis. (laughs) So, um, let's see, I I did obviously just change jobs. So my previous job um, 
was more a typical life of a meteorologist than right now because um, right now I'm very much in training. Um, but I will kind of I will take you through the typical life of a meteorologist working for the National Weather Service, which is my previous employer, um, and I worked with them for about five years. Meteorologists working in the weather service generally are on shift work, rotating shift work, um, which means, you know, you've either got the day shift, which generally runs from like seven to three or plus or minus a few hours, or the evening shift, which is maybe three to 11, and then the midnight shift, which is, um, you know, 11 to seven. There's 122 NWS offices across the United States. Um, And every single office does the same basic things, but completely different from one another. There's local management there, but it's generally speaking, we're running, you know, bare bones because, you know, for whatever reason, NOAA or the federal government just has not been filling the forecaster jobs fast enough. A lot of people in the union of the weather service kind of think it's sabotaging, like a purposeful sabotage, because they're they. A lot of people think they're just trying to whittle down the workforce. Oh no! Uh, in so the what, cheapest way possible, which tends to be the most painful way possible if you're one of these meteorologists in the field. Um, it, the, and the union's pretty interesting because it's. Um, I want to say it's a pretty strong union, but at the same time, if it was that strong. We wouldn't be having all these problems that that they were having, you know, with filling basic um, meteorologist positions. But it's pretty strong in the sense of community. Like there's a secret Facebook page where all the union members are on and they can talk, you know, their their problems on there. But because each office is so bare bones and, you know, there's only like three people because there's so many vacancies, there's only like three people on shift at a given time. And maybe if it's a day shift, you've got some managers in the office. But um, generally speaking, I mean, there's not many people in the office and there's just, the workload is incredibly high. And when there's a a storm coming through, the public calls, which go right to the forecasters, become, you know, extremely numerous. I, I don't know. I think a lot of the public thinks that when they're calling the National Weather Service, they're calling like a call center. And that's, Largely not true. Like, <laughs> are you're taking precious time away from someone who's trying to warn on a tornado? <laughs> oh no! Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's actually the, happened to me one time. Wow, that is so interesting. So, when you go in for your shift work, are you able to take calls the entire time? Like, are you available, or do you rotate within the shift to answer calls? Well, we do have um, one person on what's called a data acquisition desk. And that person, um, which tends to be uh, one of the newer meteorologists or um, someone called the OPL, which is kind of responsible for gathering uh, the observations from the observation program network. So generally, we have one person that's tasked with taking the calls. But, you know, obviously, if that one person is on a call when another call comes through, that goes straight to the forecasters. And there's only like two other ones sitting there <laughs> unless oh, no. unless staffing is beefed up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example from being in Duluth, Minnesota. We'd have like a, you know, we'd have two or three snowstorms coming through a week. And people like, like to call in with their snow totals as the storm's ongoing. And they also like to call in with you know, whatever questions they have. And we're happy to answer those questions. And we're absolutely thankful to get any kind of data on how much snow is falling at the time. But you're pretty much slammed when a a storm's coming through. And that also means that you have a lot of work to do because you have a lot of analysis to make sure that your forecast is on track. Um, So you're, I mean, it, it really, it really, really is a lot of work um, a lot of the time. So, uh, it's even more painful since, um, you're on rotating shift work for one, which means your sleep schedule is completely screwed up. Secondly, you're probably not, you're maybe getting half of your weekends off. If that, of course, you're working through most of your holidays. I mean, and the federal government does pay quite well, you know, to work these strange shifts and to work holidays, but over time it really wears on you. And especially if you're a parent 
or if you don't live close to family or just if, if there's any, if basically if you're not young and like 20, 25 years old, it, it's really, it's really hard on you <laughs> to, to maintain this tempo. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I, and I think you were asking about the day in the life of a meteorologist and I, I guess I've kind of gone off um, the deep end trying to give you some background on some of this. Oh, um, that's a really good context to have. And I already have multiple questions. <laughs> uh, Actually, I do want to ask. So when you, you say you rotate midnight shifts, is that like somebody is doing midnight for three weeks or is it like they do Fridays and like somebody else does Wednesdays? Oh, uh, so um, each office does it differently. Man, you know, I will say if you did it for like three months, that would actually, according to most medical professionals, be preferable. But, you know, most offices rotate way too fast. I was in two separate offices in my career in the weather service. The first uh, office was Duluth. They tended, tended to give you like three or four midnight shifts, and then you'd be off for a day or two, and then you'd do day shifts for maybe five days, and then you'd be off for a little bit, and then evenings. So they kind of whipped around quite, quite fast. Um, and every single person is different in what they want. Some people like a fast rotation in that way. Me personally, that was the hardest for me because I felt like I always had whiplash with my schedule. I could never really get a clear footing on, on my life and, you know, what was going to happen next and when I needed to sleep. Um, So it was hard to get into a pattern with that. Um, So my next office in Key West, uh, they had much longer rotations, and then they had larger blocks of time off. So I would be on a day shift for like nine days in a row, and then I'd have maybe five days off, which was pretty sweet. And then I would be on midnight for like a straight week, so seven days, and then I'd be off for like three days. So that, I think, on my body was a little bit better, but... It's still, I mean, try working your normal difficult job for nine days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> it's brutal. I mean, especially, you know, with a young child, I would be out of laundry midweek and I'd be out of groceries midweek. <laughs> like, it's hard to stay afloat in that situation. And I, I don't know how most people do it because most people, I mean, I had Justin who was mostly a stay-at-home parent during that time. He was fully employed, like, towards the end of that time, but generally I had someone at home to help me survive. <laughs> yeah. That. But, I mean, a lot of people have spouses that also work, and they also have kids. I don't know how those people do it. I really oh. – I have no idea. Um, I don't know. And, I mean, the, the shift work is one of the biggest reasons why I ended up leaving the mother service because – I I know from watching everybody that it only gets worse with age. And honestly, knowing that I would have maybe half or less of my Christmases off with my daughter <laughs> for the rest yeah. of my life just just really like broke my heart, you know. Just yeah. little things like that, like not having the basic like break at the end of the year to get your life together. Um was really hard. Really just hard. Something that it, it doesn't really hit you the first few years when you're in your weather service career, but it really hits you like as the years wear on kind of like moving to a cold climate and the first winter is so much fun. And then, you know, maybe if you live there for 20 years after the 20th year, you're just, you hate winter. <laughs> yes. yes. It, it wears on you over time. But that that was going to lead into my second question. You talked about having to work Christmases and holidays and everything like that. It's because yeah. the, the weather never stops, right? So the, exactly. Right. Yeah, so I like, you, like to say the weather never sleeps, and neither <laughs> do. <we. laughs> this is Justin here with an editorial note. So we were recording on Skype, and you can hear the call going in and out at times. What Melody was saying here was she likes to say, "The weather never sleeps, and neither do we." But you mentioned something about how you're constantly accruing data and constantly just getting new data and updating forecasts. And it painted this picture of this this thing that's always in flux, right? Like something that's always being analyzed and updated and worked on. And 
from my ignorant, you know, public perception that I don't know anything about weather, which I'll readily admit, is that um, sometimes I'll just look up forecasts, probably not in the right places, and it'll look like it's set, you know, like it looks like it's set for five days, or it'll say eight-day forecast. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is eight <laughs> days or whatever. And uh, And so there's this weird, like, I guess... When you were talking about it, it seemed more like a, a thing that's always happening, like always yeah. in flux. And the, yeah. the perception that I had was that, oh, they kind of said it and then they're just working on the next eight days or whatever. But that's definitely not oh. true, right? <laughs> no, that's I mean, and I, I like that you're telling me this because when you work in a field for so long, you forget what the perception is like to a normal person, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I mean... Just a, a little bit of background. Our models are are pretty solid in the first four days of the forecast. We can forecast out to seven days pretty well, uh, but that day, day five through day seven, is always kind of iffy because it's mostly dependent on two major models, which is the GFS and the European model. And I, I mean, those are two pretty good models, with the European generally statistically being better. But yeah, I mean, once you get into the four-day window, we have a lot more um, guidance to kind of steer us in the right way as far as what the eventual forecast is going to be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ab you're absolutely right. It's it, it definitely seems static to the normal user, but it is always in flux. Um, though the helpful thing to know would just be to know when the updates actually come. And in the United States... Um, the updates, the major updates to the forecast tend to come early in the morning, which is like around three or four in the morning and in the afternoon, three or four in the afternoon, depending on what your time zone is. Uh, but and that's ma mainly based on just when we get our next cycle of model results to come in. And they um, they come out. In all caps, like super bold, right? Like, is that, <laughs> is that a thing, or am I just making that up? Uh, did that change, or is that still weather service products? Yeah. Oh yeah, a few years ago they did. Um, they did make discussions into mixed case, which is easier for the user to read. Although, um, depending depending on the the way in which you're getting the warning or the this forecast discussion you may still find it in all caps but yeah i mean that's that's a very that's based on a very old you know teletype um <laughs> way of doing things that's just yeah. how they used to have to do it with the weather radios and everything because i think weather radios needed it to be in all caps in order for it to be read by a computer voice wow yeah and it, it makes me think of how a lot of technology in general and I guess I could say library specifically, the new technology platforms are built from the ideas of older ones, right? Like we carry through all of this weird ancient stuff with us, you know, right. from how the, the actual computer keyboard is laid out to, you know, the way we still categorize materials in libraries. It's coming from an older system. So we've made digital systems to catalog and to, you know, categorize materials but they're still based, you know, a, a lot on this older system where we had cards. Um, so it's like recon reconciling this old system with like new technology, and we never fully start over. We just carry through this this older platform until it kind of like dissolves away until we find some better way of doing it. Right. Yeah. And and especially um, with working for the federal government or any really kind of government system, you'll find. We tend to add products, but we don't necessarily take away older products. <laughs> yeah. so a lot of legacy stuff that's just there that's probably not being used much at all. Um, but the workload, I mean, the, the um, task still remains for the forecaster or for, you know, the general federal employee to still complete. So the workload kind of con continues to rise without tasks that are kind of um, not quite as meaningful anymore and being taken away. So um, yeah, definitely, it's kind of a problem.
I think I'm kind of running out of steam. I have so many ideas for questions and like new topics. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like we could dedicate like whole episodes to them. Like when you mentioned yeah. um, the gender swap roles when you said stay at home parent, it reminded me that, you know, the profession, library profession is largely female. It's like 85% female. Oh, that's so um, interesting. Yeah. And I was going to ask, you really know. Really kind of similar in that way. We're both working in these professions that are the opposite of our genders. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask about um, meteorology. I think it's probably swapped. Like, is it? It is mostly men. Yeah. yeah. It is men. Um, and then the women it, it's so funny talking about this now because um i remember looking at the weather service the statistics there it was only i think 18 percent of women working in the national weather service and like most of them are leaving in droves by age 35 and i was always trying to like i don't know, fight that in a way like as far as like trying to tell them what they need to do to retain women because yeah. Hiring women, the hiring of women is actually um, pretty steady. Like I don't know if it's exactly 50%, but it's they're definitely doing better than they used to as far as hiring women. But they just can't retain women. Yeah. And I have to think it's, I mean, obviously it's got to be because of the harsh um, shift work and just the family dynamics. But it probably honestly has a lot to do with harassment in the workplace and um, it's also just around the time where a lot of women are probably um, trying to have families and everything. But it's funny that I'm talking about this now because I absolutely became that statistic that left before age 35. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. I mean, the way you describe the work, obviously, it sounds super grueling. And um, that also makes me wonder if you're working seven, eight, nine days in a row, that's got to have some kind of mental and physical impact to where wouldn't the work suffer from that? You know, like, Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, Libraries are similarly understaffed and I can imagine like doing these very precise calculations and working with all these models and readings that it's, it sounds really intense. It is. But then, you know, I think about what, you know, medical professionals do and that scares me way more. I mean, they're doing surgery and, they're on, you know, weird shifts just like we are. Although, you know, I think with nurses, they tend to hire like a day nurse or a night nurse. So people tend to be more set in their rotations and their their natural sleep cycles. Oh. Um, but, you know, doctors, like doctors go on call. I mean, I remember when I was having a baby, you know, the the random doctor who happened to be on call, you know, at midnight was just like, okay, well, you know, you can have a baby now or I'll go sleep and, you know, we can do this in the morning. Right. It's <laughs> like they're doing all these important surgeries and they're barely scraping by like with, yeah. I don't know how they're at their peak mentally uh, just with their brain function when, as they're doing these complicated life saving or, you know, life dependent medical decisions. Whereas at least with meteorology, like, Unless we're talking like, I don't know, tornado warnings um, or, you know, significant warnings. If it's just the rotating forecast, I mean, chances are people are being alerted one way or another. I mean, the Weather Service is very, very important, but there's a lot of media partners that that are also out there kind of saying the same story that we are. So, you know, if you if you make it a 30 percent chance of rain, and the media is saying 50%. I mean, generally speaking, no one's going to die. Although right. I, a few weeks ago or maybe a week ago, Tampa had three tornadoes and the Storm Prediction Center like didn't even have them in a strong risk for tornadoes. I mean, I don't even think they gave them a 2% hatched risk for tornadoes, um, which is kind of the lower end that you could give for any severe weather moving through. Um so, I mean, I, it's hard for me to say that, you know, being tired like that increases the risk of the general public suffering from death or something like that. But because it's a little more far, it's farther, further removed than the medical community, you know, not being not sleeping enough and then making a mistake in a surgery. Uh, but, you know, think little things matter. And obviously, you're not having a healthy workforce when you're promoting this kind of working environment. Um, 
but what can you do? I mean, what can you really do unless you just hire more staff yeah. to, to help with the burden of shift work? But it seems like the opposite is happening, happening where they're just, they're not even filling um, what they need to fill. So it makes it harder on the workforce. Yeah. Coincidentally, it happens in public libraries too. I mean, if they vote for a, a cut in funding, there's not much you can do. You cut staff or you cut operational hours. And, um, and it happens all the time. Uh, libraries will close on Saturdays and Sundays or on Fridays even. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that. Yeah, especially in smaller counties that aren't as well funded because it goes on a county-by-county county funding basis. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, it's that's another thing I could talk about another time. <laughs> it's that, like... That idea that we don't need libraries and so they should be defunded is really bad, and it's perpetuated in media like once a month. Oh, in media, there are these tech columnists. There are these like thirty-year-old dudes that just write tech columns, and they're like, "We don't need libraries anymore. We have Amazon books." And it's just every month it's the same article, and it's just it's so high-profile. Ooh, it's gross. Yeah, the uh, new millennial article. Yeah. Blaming everyone, blaming millennials for garbage stuff, like <laughs> closing. Yeah. <laughs> Melody was talking about these news articles that say millennials are killing businesses, and she mentioned one about Applebee's locations closing. But yeah, it sounds like we have a lot to talk about, so. <laughs> a lot more uh, than I thought. Yeah. I think that's it. I think we did a great job. <laughs> I think it was really interesting and uh to hear about <laughs> justin said he liked hearing it <laughs> yeah we have an uh approval rating of one so far <laughs> one like <laughs> well, one like would recommend to others uh, <laughs> yeah thanks for uh logging on and talking um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a lot to talk about, I think. And even though we tried like multiple times to talk about a day in the life, I feel like I never got there with what I actually do. I had so much background to talk about. Yeah, we could go days. You could go probably. days. Thanks to user Airtone on DigCCMixter.org for uploading music used in the interludes of this episode. And to user CDRK at Freesound.org for uploading that lovely sound of a bell that I used to interrupt the podcast a few times. Thanks for joining us. This was the first episode of the Heat Index. Thanks for, um, I don't know, just trusting that I would eventually get around to doing this. (laughs) (laughs) 